With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast. And here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hello, friends. Happy New Year from the Tennis.com podcast. We're back again for another go-round. Myself, Ed McGrogan, am here, as always, with Steve Tigner. Um, you know, Steve, basically, the question begs, you know, are, we, we just ended this, and we are ready back again um, a few weeks later. To me, honestly, compared to some past seasons, uh, even though the, the interval between the end of the last season and the start of the new one is, about, is generally about the same, it does feel actually to me um, like there has been some separation uh, from the the removed season. Maybe that's because we're getting some players back that are healthy. Um, I, I think a lot has actually changed, quite honestly. We'll get into that certainly with the WTA side in a bit. But um, I think I'm a little more ready for this season than usual. How about yourself? Yeah, I think... You know, technically, it should be longer the off season, and maybe it should go even. You know, should go into March or, or whatever. But when it comes back after a break, you always feel I always feel good about that first week and that that sort of feeling again of a new year. I think you can tell that the difference in, at least for me, in how long the women have off as compared to the men, and I feel a little more interested in the early going with the women. And what's going to happen? It feels a little more like a new season there. They take about three; they're done their season about three weeks earlier than the men, and I think it does make a difference. And um, not that the men are going to can scale it back anymore, but I think you can see. To me, you can see that more time does help. Like I feel like with the men, we're going to get this week. We could get another Djokovic Murray match. That doesn't seem that you know it wasn't very long ago they were playing for for last year. That doesn't seem like much much that's new. Whereas the women. You get Kerber, Serena, Radwanska, Halep, everybody out there. That sort of feels like, all right, let's start. We're starting all over, starting fresh with a new year uh, on that side. So I feel like there's a little more early excitement to me on the on the women's side. So let's start with the WTA then, and let's start at the top. We should with with Anjali Kerber, like you said. Um, she, you know, this is this is when her year. Um, you know, her last season got started and it, and it really started taking off from this point forward as the Australian open champion. We were, you know, we were really brought into a new WTA dynamic very quickly last year. And before we get into what has been a very, uh, busy WTA past couple weeks, before we get into some of the other possible, you know, the next curvers, if you will, um, you know what? What's I think we I think we owe it to Kerber to start with her and just you know her forecast really for this year. I mean, I, 
have her expectations changed? Would you say is, you know, I, I think a lot of, uh, I think she, I think she answered all every question and more last year, but really what, did, what does 2017 sort of hold for her? Yeah, I think from, uh, from how she'll handle being number one, I think she's shown she can, she can do that by the time she had, a, you know, she won the Australian open and she had a little dip, but by the time, you know, Wimbledon, the Olympics, the U.S. Open, and then the year-end championships. He made the finals of all of those and looked like she really thought she should win those tournaments. You know, I don't think she'd ever thought that before. But I think by the end of the year, she, she'd settled into her role. I guess the question to me is she'll never have a game where – she'll always have a game that will – that she can be overpowered by somebody who's playing well. She, no matter what she's doing or how nervous or not nervous she is, her sort of – you know, somewhat defensive game always lends itself. You know, it's always a vulnerable to a to a player who's really playing well, like at the Olympics, Puig, the year-end championship, Sybil Kova. You know, those will. I think that'll always be an issue. The issue for her in the big matches, um, and that's not going to change whether what you know. I don't think that's going to change no matter what her mentality is. Yeah, and I think that you know. One thing about Kerber that we, you know, we will continue to emphasize throughout the year. I think it will, it may, you know, bear itself out is that, and you've mentioned this before. Even as a number one, she she is still reliant on on in large part many more than many other number ones what her opponent does or does not do. And in terms of her competition this year, I really kind of break it down. Um, almost into two groups and I, and I don't want to sort of uh, simplify it that way just for this discussion. But, uh, but it, it seems to me that I'm, I'm kind of looking at the WTA uh, rankings. I, I noticed that numbers three, number four, uh, number five in the world, which are Agnieszka Radwanska, Simona Halep, uh, D- Dominica Sabokova. All three of them have never won a major title. All three of them, though, you could certainly surmise um, if a you know if a number of things go their way, if they play up to their potential again, that really maybe they are sort of the you know the next Kerber, if you will, someone that is again off of the the traditional run we've had of champions, uh, major champions on WTA tour, um, you know. All of them, I think, have their their plus, their pros and cons. Um, you know, you have really the you know the shot, the incredible shot making. You have some guile. You have really kind of an all around game represented by these three players. And I wonder if we might want to kind of group them up and, and discuss them a little bit. Yeah, I think you look at those three: uh, Radwanska, Halep, and Sibylkova, Especially the first two, Radwanska and Halep, and they have to. I think they have to look at what Kerber did last year and think. Well, that that can happen to me. At least win winning one slam, if not finishing number one. They're they're about the same age, maybe a year younger, a couple years younger than Kerber. Um, they have comparable games. You know, they've they've been to Slam finals. They were, I think, until last year, they were probably more considered more likely to to win majors than Kerber. So I think they can, you know, I think they'll take something positive from that. And I think they did last year. Each of them had a had a good year. Sybil Kova obviously also had a really good year. And I think they'll, they'll be helped by some of the things that have happened to um, some of the other contenders in the offseason. As uh, 
Victoria Azarenko, who was who we would be talking about as potential number one, had a baby and you know won't be playing for a while. Petra Kvitova um, had a horrible situation where she was she was attacked and she'll be out for six months. Um, you know she's always a threat. And Serena is you know still number two after playing just eight tournaments last year, but she's 35 and she's she's talking about getting married. She you know they're you know that that who knows whether that's a something where she's thinking about leaving the sport or, or, you know, that's on her mind, sort of the end of her career, you know, she's not going to be what she was two years ago or five years ago. So I think you look at, I think you look at all of that as, as an opportunity for people like Redwanska Halep and, and Sybil Kobe, like you said. Yeah. And, and that goes into really the other group of players, um, you know, that I would consider the, the great comp- competition, you know, really for the number one ranking, whomever has it um, at the moment, Kerber, of course, but, you know, if you look back at last year, and it was obviously a Kerber's year, but it was also, you know, really ruled in, in intervals by, you know, Serena for a stretch, uh, obviously at Wimbledon, and, and her, you know, her presence is obviously, you know, really undiminishable in a way. It, it's it's just, you know, it's clear that she is always a factor there. And as you say, um, you know, the, some late year news of her engagement now, we just... You know, we wonder really kind of at her age, you know, where things go from here. Um, and, you know, clearly also you, know, you have you have Azarenka, who you mentioned, who last year was, you know, regardless of the rankings, was clearly the best player in the world for a stretch, winning Indian Wells in Miami. Um, and soon after that, you know, taking taking a leave, of course, to have her first child, Um we don't really know when Azarenka is slated to come back. Uh, if you know, it, it would be only guesswork at this point. But you know, given that she, uh, given everything just happened pretty recently, and uh, if, if you want to perhaps surmise that, you know, given her success in hard courts, maybe sometime in the summer post Wimbledon would make sense, but it's all really guesswork at this point. Um, you know, also, as you said, of course, Kvitova is really uh, just incredibly unfortunate circumstance. Madison Keys will also miss the Australian Open. I think that's worth mentioning too. These, you know, all these four players, um, you know, bring that sort of ultra power game that is a, is a great contrast to players like Kerber and players in that other group of uh, Radwanska, Halep as well. So I think I think a lot is really unsettled at this point. Um, and, of course, you would say that because the season just started, but it seems more so than usual. I think the Australian Open gets a bit of a really a more interesting tone because of that. Yeah, I think that's, <clears throat> I think that's right. Um, and I think we'll, you know, we'll see that a lot of the players, women players, are playing this week. I think you know there'll be some that that'll tell us something as well going into the Australian Open. Yeah, and you know this week on the men's and women's side, you have you have very strong fields. Traditionally, um, you know the first week is is a pretty you, know, you get pretty good participation across the board. You, you're seeing it um, all over the world. Um, you know, mostly of course down in the uh, the Australian continent. Um, and you know, we think about what this means too on the men's side. Um, the main news to you know, the really the main takeaway at, at this stage is that 
until proven otherwise, the men's game is and the and the big four specifically, um, the tour is healthy at this point. And you could look at that last year from purely a physical perspective, where that really impacted Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, who both cut their season short. Um, and surely from a mental perspective, too, of Novak Djokovic, who um, pretty much as soon as the French Open passed, you know, you saw a different player, not that you know invincible number one that we had grown used to for such a long time. Um, and it's really, you know, I think we're kind of almost hitting a reset button, if you will, uh, on the big four, you know, and, and really it's, uh, it obviously brings up a lot of questions too with them. So where, you know, where do you want to start with the big four? Well, I think you look at Federer and, and the doll coming back, um, you know, in the off season and last year, I sort of was having a hard time imagining Federer coming back physically and being able to stay with the younger players after being injured. But, but I thought that in the past and he does, you know, he sounds as upbeat as ever. I sort of feel like he will, he will challenge for slams. You know, three months ago, I would have said that's unlikely, but now just, you know, he's good at like, he's good at creating his own momentum, his own sort of his own, uh, you know, positive kind of spin on, on where he is. And, you know, it's believable because he's always he's always bounced back and and has always at least made semis and finals and grand slams. I think that's, you know, I, now I would be surprised if we don't, don't see him, you know, if not winning, you know, at least challenging for these. And the same with Nadal. And I, and actually, just to stay on Federer for a second too, I I think that when you saw, you know, the the guy, believe me, he, I think he is always fed off and still continues to feed off really this unrivaled support that he continues to get around the globe you saw you saw it kind of really you know this week in Perth Hotman Cup which is just beginning you know even in the um the practice session that he streamed over um over social media you know to me that all that all that appearance of him you know just loving the game and and loving the the continue just the sport in general is it's never been anything other than genuine to me, and it's. I'm not trying to sap it up, but it. I think it's pretty telling. It's. It's almost harder to imagine a lot of other guys still at that age and after all that's been accomplished, still coming forth with that kind of, uh, you know, really just just attitude toward everything. Yeah, you know, he's trying to he's trying to tell us that this break will help him in the long run, play for a couple more years, and that's possible. Um, and I think this, you know, I've had the same feeling early on now with Nadal. He looked good in the exhibition in Abu Dhabi. Um, he seems healthy. You know, you never know. I think I'll be interested to see this week and what his game is like and when it's a real tournament and when nerves come into it. You know, it's obvious he still has the physical ability. Just watching him uh, in that exo, he's got, you know, the shots are all there. He doesn't hasn't lost too much speed uh, at 30. But the big difference, obviously, is the nerves, which weren't there, which were never going to be there in an exhibition. We'll see if that changes again, which, because his recent history is, you know, is, is that that's the big problem um, with Rafa. So we'll get some idea of that uh, in the next couple of weeks. And then Djokovic, um, I had, you know, through the second half of last year, he sort of he sounded a little, you know, as if he needed a break from the game. But he started out this year saying, 
that, that he's happy with where he is. He doesn't consider the last six months of failure. He's looking at it as just another experience. He's sort of, he's talking about it as an incentive. And I think that'll be the key for him. I think if he feels like, if he feels like he really is desperate to be back at number one and doesn't, and really feels like he doesn't belong at number two, I think he'll get back there because I think he's still, Djokovic is still the best player. It's just his mentality. He still has the edge on Murray, Federer, and Nadal. Yeah, uh, and, and I think what you, you know, it's a it's a really a reset button for Djokovic in a lot of ways, but also this is, you know, Boris Becker now not no longer um, in his coaching corner there, his stable, um, and Becker's comments in the, you know, as Becker has always shown, you know, the man does not have a filter at all, but you know some very you know revealing comments I thought on Djokovic and really what he was and was not doing, um, you know, to maintain that you know incredible status that he had for so long. And and if you, if you take that Be- if you take Becker at his word on really what Djokovic uh, wasn't able to bring to the table in terms of pure tennis um, in the second half of 2016, you can kind of you know really rationalize why things went the way they did. Yeah, he talked about how he wasn't on the practice court enough. I hadn't really heard much about that, but you have to believe it if it's coming from Becker. And I think, but, you know, midway through the year last year, Djokovic talked about how he wasn't going to focus on being number one anymore. And if that's his attitude, then you don't don't know. But if he, I think now, if he really doesn't like where he is being number two and is really motivated to, to, you know, to get back to number one. I think he'll, you know, he'll get there. There's, there's nobody really who's going to stop him game-wise. You know, Murray's obviously better, but I think, I think you still have to give the edge to Djokovic in, in their, in their head-to-head. Yeah, and as you said, it, it's, you know, there is a very high, you know, chance that, uh, you know, we'll quickly get the, you know, the latest installment of that rivalry. They're both, uh, you know, they're, they're both playing in the same. Uh, same event in Doha, and it's, you know, the season, as we say, it, it, it starts up quickly, uh, very quickly in terms of players, in terms of events, you know, the volume is there, there's there's plenty to see, we don't really have to wait till the Australian Open uh, to see it, and I think we should close, um, you know, since it was, you know, we haven't uh, been on the pod for a little while, Anna Ivanovich calls it a career, um, just last week, this is you know the latest in kind of a, a very very busy off court um, week week or two for the WTA. Uh, clearly, this one affecting the on court will be you know through with seeing Ivanovich in her career. Only 29 years old, um, but so much has you know between all of the the highs and and lately you know a lot of some of the lows that were I think. I think more documented than the highs, you know, particularly you had that, you know, that wayward service toss that just, you know, she couldn't really just shake off for a lot of the latter half of her career. It seems like a long time ago when we saw Ivanovich, you know, reach three slam finals in the, in the span of two years, but, you know, obviously, you know, one of the, you know, a great career nonetheless uh, from start to finish. Yeah. You know, you, you kind of forget that she was number one. Um, she won a grand slam, so it wasn't, it, it, you know, she backed that up with a slam. Uh, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't sort of one of the slam, slamless number ones. So that adds to that. Adds to you know, um, the status, her status. Uh, I think 
leaving, you know, she's a she's a star player. She was a, a big attraction, popular player. She's one of the people I think showed that players can get along and, and be friends and still compete. She, you know, she it was never her sort of philosophy or personality that she, she didn't want to, you know, that competing was more important than being friends with people. Um, always a great player to talk to, great in press conferences, win or lose. I, I, you know, rarely do you see a player who who is as good talking after a loss, you know, as engaged or, you know, she would never really shrug off a press conference or get annoyed or, or bristle at any questions. Um, and I think she was that way generally with people around, around tennis. I guess my thinking about her now, I just, I wonder whether she'll, whether she belongs in the hall of fame. I think it's a question that could, you know, it's a, I think it's a good question. She has two obvious reasons to vote her in. She won a slam and, that's a, that's been enough for a couple of people like Gabriella Sabatini won one slam and Yannick Noah won one slam and made it in and she also is number one, which those players uh, didn't do. But on the downside is she had some very mediocre years ranked in the twenties, a lot of bad losses, uh, pretty up and down career. So I think it's you know I think that's something interesting, at least to do, you know to talk about in the future whether she gets in. Well said. Yeah, we'll uh, debate that uh, soon enough. And uh, we'll return here on the podcast after this weekend's events. Um, surely quite a few results we'll be talking about next week at this time. So for Steve Tingner, this is Ed McRogan, uh, as always, for the Tennis.com podcast. Thank you for listening. You've been enjoying the Tennis.com podcast. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.